One thing I know this morning is this. Every man in this room wants to be a success. I know that because that's the way God hardwired us. If you're a man, you desire to succeed. You desire to succeed at work. You desire to succeed at home. You desire to succeed with God. That's just the way it is. And when we don't succeed, it seems like things fall apart. I remember a number of years ago now when it seemed like a perfect storm hit my life. And I felt like a failure at work in the church I was pastoring. I felt like a failure at home as a, as a dad, as, as a husband. And I felt like a failure in my relationship with God. And I've got to be honest with you, because of that, I fell into a dark place. A place where I was depressed, a place where I was discouraged. You see, we as men want to succeed. And if ever there was a man who was destined for success, it's the king that I want us to look at this morning, the third king in Israel's history, Solomon. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. He started ruling as king in around 971 B.C., and he ruled as king for 40 years. He ruled during the most prosperous time in Israel's history. It is said that, that he is, was the richest and the wisest king to ever sit on a throne. He composed 3,000 proverbs. He wrote over 1,000 songs. Kings from every nation sent ambassadors to him to sit at his feet to learn from him. He wrote three of the books that we have in our Bible. He wrote the book of Proverbs, which was a book written to his son, telling his son how to gain wisdom and discipline in life. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which, which tells us about his search for, for success and, and, and peace and prosperity in life. And he wrote the book of Song of Solomon, which was a love story, a, a, a book that tells us how to have a satisfying marriage. I'm just telling you all that to tell you this was a man that had everything going for him. And yet, somehow, some way, Solomon gradually turned his back on God and began to follow the gods of this world. And these gods led him into all kinds of sin. Now as we unpack Solomon's life this morning, from beginning to end, I want us to focus on three truths that I believe are revealed as we walk through his life. And these truths, I believe, speak very specifically to the men in this room. Though I want you to know that these truths speak to each and every one of us. And so let's go ahead and unpack Solomon's life. And the first thing I want you to see is the challenge that Solomon was given. David was his father, and David was about to die. He was coming to the end of his life, and he desperately wanted his son Solomon to succeed. And so he sat down with Solomon, and he issued Solomon a challenge. We find that challenge in 1 Kings chapter 2, 
in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. In 1 Kings 2, David says this. He says, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. In other words, I'm going to die. Everybody dies. That includes me. And so before I die, I want to give you this word. And this is what he says. Take courage. Be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God. Follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you'll be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Then in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, it gives us the challenge this way. It says, And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. Now, I don't want to chase a rabbit, but let me just stop there for just a minute. Did you hear that? The Lord sees every heart. The Lord not only sees what we do, the Lord knows what is going on inside of us. The Bible says he knows every plan and every thought that comes out of our mind. And we are told if we seek him, we will find him. So I want you to know this morning, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, if you will seek God with all your heart, God will reveal himself to you because God wants to know you far more than you want to know God. Now notice what he says here in 1 Kings 2. The very first words he said after he said, I'm about to die, were these words. He said, be courageous. In other words... Be strong. The word there literally means strong. Be strong and be a man. Now men, listen to me. That's the message that God gives to each and every one of us who are men here today. Man up. Be strong. Be the man God calls you to be. And then he tells us there are two things that we need to do if we're going to man up. The first one is this. He said, observe God's requirements and keep God's commands. Now those two English words, observe and keep, are the same Hebrew word. That word literally means to build a hedge around. In other words, what David is saying is this, God's commands, God's word is a hedge that can be built around us to protect us and guard us and keep us from falling. That's why David said in Psalms, I have hidden your word in my heart to keep me from sinning against you. Now men, listen to me. God's word, it is never, it is never going to be a hedge of protection around you or around your family unless you systematically get into it and let it get into you. God's Word sitting on a table, God's Word on the pages of a book 
are never going to change your life until you get into the Word and allow the Word to get in to you. So men, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to get into God's Word personally and allow God's Word to guard you and protect you from evil. Dig deep into God's Word. And here's the thing. If you make that a priority in your life, any one of us can read through the Bible in a year. You read four chapters a day approximately, and you can read through the Bible in a year. You can start doing that right now, however old you are, and for the rest of your life, read through the Bible every year, and it will change your life. One of our men, Billy Daniel, who goes to our early service, started doing this several years ago. The reason I know this is because he reminded me of this just a couple of weeks ago. And he told me how every year he, he reads through the Bible again. And God is using that. Even though he has been a believer for many years. And even though he has walked with God for a long time. As he is systematically reading through God's word. God is using it to change his life. Next men. I want to challenge you to make it a habit. A habit to daily open up God's word with your family. Now, if you don't make that a habit, you won't do it. Because life will get busy. Things will get in the way. You have got to make it a habit. You have to put it on the calendar every single day. Sit down with your family if you have a family and read God's word with them. Let them hear you read it. Let them hear you lead in discussion about what you've learned. And then let them hear you Pray about what God's Word said. When they hear you do that, when your kids hear you do that, it will make an impression on them that will never go away. And finally, I want to challenge you men to memorize God's Word. But not only you, I want to challenge you to memorize God's Word with your kids, with your family. Now, some of you are saying, I, I can't memorize anymore. Oh, bull. How many of you drove to church this morning? You drove to church? How many of you are going to need your GPS to get back home? None of you? Well, that means you memorized the route back home, right? Amen? <laughs> you memorized the route. And so you can memorize things. You can memorize what is important to you, memorize God's Word, and make it fun. This is what I would encourage you to do. Set a goal for your kids on the scriptures that you want them to memorize. Memorize them with them. And when they reach the goal, and you can do incremental goals, but if, if you want to start with five, determine what you're going to do when you memorize those five verses. You, you may go somewhere for the day, carowinds or somewhere. If you go to on a, an, another goal, you may go on a trip together. Do something fun. Now you're saying, Rocky, that's bribery. Yeah. <laughs> so what? They're getting God's word in their heart. Amen. And if God's word gets in their heart, it will change their lives. And so David says, observe. Keep God's word. Let it be a hedge around your life. But, but that's not all David told his son. Next he said, I want you to follow God's ways. 
Now, in the Hebrew, what this is saying is live according to what God says. Walk with Him. Do what it says. You see, it's not enough to to read God's Word. It's not enough even to memorize God's Word. We've got to do God's Word. James said it this way. He said, don't just be hearers of the Word. Do what it says. Men, what would happen if we would start doing what God's Word says with our families, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with the people that wait on us in the restaurant. Some of you are going to go out to eat for Father's Day. How are you going to treat the people who are serving you? Are you going to treat them like they're there to serve you? Or are you going to treat them the way that Jesus tells us to treat them where you are going to be a blessing to them. What would happen? What would happen if we begin to apply God's word and and what we listen to, what, what we watch with our eyes, what we say? It would literally change everything. And then David said this. He said, if you do this, If you let God's word be a hedge around you and you do what it says, you will be successful. He said everything you do will be blessed. That's a promise that God gave to Solomon. And I've got to be honest with you. Even though this promise is written directly to Solomon, I believe this promise applies to each and every one of us. I believe that if we will allow God's word to be a hedge around us to protect us from evil and we will do what it says, God will bless us and we will succeed in what we do. So that's what he tells us to do. But then he goes on in 1 Chronicles and he tells us something else. He tells us it's not enough to read and apply God's word. We need to learn to know God intimately. Now let me say that again. David said you need to learn To know God intimately. Now the phrase translated know God intimately is the Hebrew word yada. It is the word that is used to describe an intimate relationship between a man and a woman. It was the word that was used of Adam and Eve when it says in Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a son. It's implying intimate knowledge. It's implying a a below-the-surface relationship. What God is saying here is He doesn't simply want us to know Him superficially. He doesn't want us to have a shallow, surface relationship with Him. He wants us to know Him personally, deeply, intimately. And then He says, worship and serve Him with all of your heart. That phrase worship and serve is the Hebrew word abad. And, and the word sometimes is translated worship, sometimes it's translated serve. It literally means to be a slave of. That's what the word means. And, and so what David is saying to his son is this. He's saying, son, give your all. Surrender everything to God. And understand, you will never know God personally, intimately, deeply, the way He created you to know Him, the way He longs for you to know Him, until you surrender every single thing to Him 
and you become his slave. So here's David, a spiritual giant, a, a man after God's own heart, a flawed man, but a godly man who is encouraging his son to let God's word be a hedge around him to protect he and his family and allow God's word to get into him and, and him to get into God's word. And then he tells him you need to know God intimately by surrendering everything to him. And men, I pray that that will be your commitment this morning. I, I so pray that you will make a commitment to allow God's word to be a hedge to protect you and your family. I so pray you'll make a commitment to not only get into God's word, but let God's word get into you. I so pray that you'll make a commitment to know God intimately, deeply, below the surface. And that's how Solomon began his life. The Bible says that Solomon began to serve God and he loved the Lord and followed his decrees. And one night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and, and he made Solomon an offer unlike any other offer ever recorded in Scripture. He told Solomon that he could ask for anything and, and he would give it to him. I mean, this was the real genie in the bottle. I mean, it wasn't rubbing a bottle and out comes a genie, but it's God, the only one who can give us anything, the only one who can give us everything, telling Solomon, the sky's the limit. Whatever you ask for, I will give you. And I want you to notice the request that Solomon made. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 3 and, and 2 Chronicles chapter 1. In chapter 1 of 2 Chronicles, it says it this way. It says, that night God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. And Solomon replied to God, give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead these people properly. Or who could possibly govern this great people of yours? 1 Kings 3, it says it this way. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to, to govern this great people of yours? Solomon could have asked for any, anything. He was given a blank check. God basically said to Solomon, name it and claim it. And what did Solomon ask for? He asked for a discerning heart. He asked for wisdom. Wisdom to lead. Wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong. The Bible tells us that God answered that prayer. God granted that request. And we see him applying this wisdom later on. Two prostitutes came to Solomon one day. These two prostitutes were living together in the same house. And both of them had sons about, about three days apart. And, and one day one of the prostitutes, one of the ladies were sleeping. They were both asleep. And she rolled over on her son and killed him. When she woke up and realized what she had done, she took her dead son and put it next to the other woman, and took that woman's son as her own. When the woman who was asleep through all this woke up, she, she went to nurse her baby and realized it was dead. And, and then as she looked closer, she realized, this isn't my son. And the other woman said, yes, it is. And she said, no, it's not. How are they going to solve this? So they went to Solomon, and they told them their story. And Solomon said, okay, bring me a sword. And he told one of his men, cut the baby in half and give half to one lady and half to the other lady. We'll just divide the baby in two. And the mother of the child said, no, 
Let her have the baby. The other woman said, good, that's a fair thing to do. Solomon said, okay, give the baby to the one who wants it to live. Now, you may sit back and say, well, that's just a logical thing. No, it's not. I mean, that is immense wisdom. Before there was ever DNA testing or anything like that, God gave Solomon the wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong and to lead the people properly. The Bible says that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. If you want to discover some of this wisdom, you can find it in Proverbs. I, I would challenge you to read a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs. So in reality, you can read the proverbs every single month, reading a chapter a day. The word wise or wisdom is found 125 times in Proverbs. The theme of wisdom is found over 150 times. Solomon said this in Proverbs 4, verse 7. He said, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. Apart from understanding God and, and having a relationship with Him, the most important thing you can do is get wisdom. And getting back to the dream. Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him the wisdom. But then the Bible says that God granted him everything else as well. He didn't ask for wealth, but God gave him wealth. He didn't ask for prestige, but God gave him prestige. He didn't ask for power, but God gave him power. God gave him everything. We are told that he was more blessed than any man who came before him and more blessed than any man who came after him. The world was literally at his fingertips. But Solomon got careless. Solomon forgot what his father had told him. And something happened. Slowly, hardly noticeable, an erosion began that all but destroyed Solomon's life. And that takes us to the third part of Solomon's life, the compromise that led to his downfall. When God was giving his people the law, the people didn't have a king. But God knew that one day they would have a king. And so God created guidelines for this soon-to-be king. And in Deuteronomy 17, these are the guidelines that God gave. He said the king must not build a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. And yet we see Solomon doing all of these things. Now, I don't think that Solomon gave God the proverbial finger. I don't think he was doing that. I don't think he was saying to God, God, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. But I think over time, Solomon got away from God's word, and God's word got away from him, and he began to live his life independent of God. He drifted. He began to live like all the kings around him. And that's what we do. 
We assume that if everybody else is doing it, we assume that if it's culturally acceptable, we assume that if, if the culture says it's morally okay, then it's okay for us to do it. But God had called his king to live by a different standard than the other kings. And we need to understand today that God has called us to live by a different standard than the other people in the world. Now getting back to the king. God told the king that he was not to amount, amass great amounts of silver and gold. Now, you know, I don't know what a great amount is. I would say that most of us define a great amount as more than we have. Right? I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm making $50,000, a great amount is $100,000. If I'm making $100,000, a great amount is $200,000. If I'm making $20,000, a great amount is $50,000. Would you agree with me? Most of us define great that way. So, so be careful judging other people. But it was very easy to judge Solomon. Because we're told that, that Solomon was bringing in 25 tons of gold a year for his personal treasury. And then it goes on to say that did not include all of his other revenue sources. Did you hear that? He was bringing in 25 tons of gold, and he had other revenue streams as well. Now, I did a little study. I wanted to see how Solomon's investments were really doing. And so I went online today, and this morning, real early, and I, I wanted to check, what is gold selling for on the market? I checked what gold was selling for by the ounce. And 25 tons of gold today, 25 tons of gold would be worth $1 billion $428,760,000 per year coming in in gold alone, not to mention his other revenue streams. I would call that well off. I mean, I could get by on a, I mean, forget the $400 million. I could get by on the billion, amen, couldn't you? We could invite some other friends to get by with us, couldn't we? But that's what Solomon had. He was clearly disobeying God's word. And then God said that the king was not to build a large stable of horses or to send his people to Egypt to buy horses. Now, how many horses Solomon had? 12,000. Does that sound like a lot? Sounds like a lot. Do you know where he got a lot of his horses? Egypt. Egypt. God said, don't accumulate a lot of horses and certainly don't get them from Egypt. So what did Solomon do? He had 12,000 horses. He got a lot of them from Egypt. Do you see what's happening here? He's compromising God's word. And it gets worse. God told the king that he wasn't to have many wives. Those many wives would turn his heart from God. So listen to what Solomon did. 1 Kings 11, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's an understatement. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, who he had already married, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Eden, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, You must not marry them. Because they will turn your hearts to their gods. 
Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, 1,000 women in the household. Can I get an old my? Talk about estrogen overload. I just got to say, men, would you, wouldn't you hate if all of them were going through the hot flash at the same time? I mean, that would be hell on earth. That's Solomon. Now listen to what it says in 1 Kings 11. Let me go on. It says, Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the, goddess of the Sidians. And Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused, refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had son. On the Mount of Olives, right there outside of Jerusalem, he built a pagan shrine for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Moloch. Here was Solomon, a man who had this incredible godly father, who began his life, began his ministry, began his career loving God and serving God. He was blessed with wisdom that was beyond our imagination. And yet, and yet, because he began to make slow, incremental compromises, he ended up offering sacrifices to pagan gods. And Solomon ended up losing it all. A Danish philosopher tells the story of a spider who, who dropped a single strand down from the top rafter of an old barn and began to weave a web. Days and weeks and months went by and the web grew bigger and bigger. And that web regularly provided the spider with food like flies and mosquitoes and other small insects that were caught in the maze of that web. Spider built his web larger and larger, and his web became the envy of all the spiders on the farm. And one day, this spider was traveling through the beautiful web, and he noticed this, this single strand going up to the darkness of the rafters. And he, he thought to himself, I wonder what that's there for. So he climbed up, and he, 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 he didn't see where the single strand was going, and he thought, this strand isn't isn't providing me any food. It's not providing anything for me. So he climbed as high as he could and he snipped the strand. And when he snipped the strand, the entire web came falling down because it was that one strand that was keeping the web connected to the rafter in place. And that's what Solomon did. He built this incredible kingdom. He amassed this incredible fortune. He was blessed with this amazing wisdom. And yet, he snipped the strand that connected him with God. And he lost everything. Toward the end of Solomon's life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes talking about his journey through life. And he talks about living life independent from God. He calls it life under the sun. That phrase is used 29 times in the book of 
Ecclesiastes, it means living life from a human perspective, living life apart from God. So here's Solomon. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was destined for success. He had it all. And yet he compromised God's word and he ultimately lost it all. So here's the bottom line. A great heritage or immense wisdom won't keep you from ruin if you compromise God's word. Let me say that again. A great heritage or immense wisdom will not keep you from ruin if you, com- if you compromise God's word. So here's my question. What will you do this morning to guard against compromise? What will you do to set up guardrails in your life that will keep you from losing it all? What will you do to keep your heart hot in love with the Lord? What will you do that will turn your potential success into eternal success for the Lord? Well, if you're here today and and you've never truly surrendered your life to him, you've never become a slave of the one true king, giving your all to him, then I want to challenge you this morning to humble yourself before him and give your all to him. I'm here to tell you this morning on the authority of God's word and through personal experience that you're never going to find what you're looking for out there. You're going to find what you're looking for as you connect with Him. And you allow Him to lead and guide and direct your life. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your all, oh dear friend, boys, girls, men, women, humble yourself before God. Surrender it all. Let Him change your life. Second, If you're here and you already have a relationship with him, this is what I want to challenge you to do. Re-examine your life. Let God's word become a hedge around you to keep you from evil. Make a commitment to get into God's word regularly and let God's word get into you. Seek after him with all your heart. And when you do, you'll find him. And you'll find what you're looking for. And in just a moment as we stand and we sing, I'm going to ask our fathers to do something special. As we have our altar time, we always encourage people to come down and pray. To pray that God will set people free from addictions, from chains that bind. That, to pray for people who are lost. To pray for people who, who need deliverance. To pray. But today I'm going to ask dads, fathers, to come to this altar. No matter who you are and where you're at in your relationship with God, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. Just give it to Him. Give it to God. And then if you have children, if you have grandchildren, I'm going to ask you to pray for them and take them to the throne of God. So first of all, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're here and you've never given your heart, you've never given your life to Jesus, and you're ready today to take that step, to make that commitment, then I want to encourage you right here to pray this prayer to Him. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbling myself before you. 
I know I've sinned against you. I know I've rebelled against you. I've failed you. I'm sorry. I've been living life under the sun. I don't want to anymore. I know you love me. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Today, I'm trusting you, Jesus, to save me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take control. I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.